Hey everyone, welcome to In Light of Eternity podcast. My name is Slavik. I am a pastor and a preacher. And on this podcast, I spend a lot of time preaching, but also interviewing people with some of the most important questions in life. And that is, how do you live in light of eternity? How do you live with an eternal perspective? Because ultimately, that's all that it matters. So I encourage you to stick around and I would really, really appreciate it if you can rate and review this podcast. It helps me reach a broad audience. God bless and enjoy. If you have your Bibles, would you open with me to Luke chapter 4 verse 16. This is a place where Jesus comes back to his hometown and I want to read from chapter uh, 4 verse 16 to verse 30. I will be reading from the ESV translation so you can follow along. Uh, Verse 16 says this, and he, being Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled it, well, he unrolled the scroll and found the place where he was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all who spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me the Proverbs, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do it here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own town. But in truth I tell you, There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was said to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to the woman who was a widow. And and there were many lepers in Israel in that time of the prophet Elisha, Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they, then they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill in which their town was built, so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Would you bow your heads this morning with me as we pray? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your presence here today. And I ask you right now, Lord, that you would open up our hearts to receive your word. Lord, I pray for every single person that came in this place, maybe with a lot of worry and anxiety. I pray, God, that they would encounter you today and they will never be the same. Lord, I ask you that you bless every single word, every single verse, Lord, and that you would quicken your word to our hearts. Lord, I thank you this morning for your presence here. In the name of Jesus, amen. This morning I have a question for you and that is, 
have you ever been in a relationship that is abusive and it seems like there's no way to get out? Uh, if you are here with your spouse, do not look at one another. <laughs> uh, but we all have had those moments in life where you felt that the relationship that you're in is a bit abusive. I remember specifically about a year ago, I had a client of mine who it seemed like every few days they would call me and constantly complain to me and call me names. And uh, they were just extremely belligerent to the point where I dreaded to even pick up their phone calls. And I literally had anxiety to pick up their phone calls. And one day, one glorious day, my contract came to an end, it expired, and I no longer had to work for them. I was supposed to pick up my things. Um, and I show up to the house, and surely enough, both of the couple, I mean, both of the, the people are there, the couple is there, and they just kind of go off at me. And you know how the whole time under contract, I have to be nice. You know, I have to say nice things back when they are just belligerent. I just went, grabbed my stuff, put them in the car, and as I'm walking to my car, they're just sort of hurling things at me. And this anger and anxiety just came over me, and I'm like, I'm just gonna turn around, and I'm just gonna let them know. But that's not what I did. I turned around, and I looked them straight in the eye, and I said, you know what? I don't work for you anymore. Have a good day. And got in my car and drove away. And I was like, that's how you do it. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, I still didn't get paid, which is a bummer. Um, but I was like, that's how you do it. Just tell them, I don't work for you anymore. I'm done. And I thought how, how Good, this illustration is in our relationship, abusive relationship with the enemy. Before Jesus, before you heard the gospel, before the Holy Spirit removed the scales from our eyes, we were in an abusive relationship with the enemy and we were slaves to the enemy. We were slaves to our own nature. We were slaves to sin. And it seemed like there's no way to get out of this relationship. Until we heard the gospel, until the Holy Spirit quickened the word and empowered us to turn around and say to the enemy, I don't work for you anymore. I used to, but I, don't, I no longer have to. And even though there's some losses in the process, even though I didn't get paid, oh, it felt good. It felt good to get out completely out of that relationship. You see, that's what freedom feels like when you step out of an abusive relationship and now you are free. The problem with freedom, though, is because you are free, you can still go either either direction. Because if you're only free to do good things, then you're not really free. You're like a microwave that was programmed to do a certain task. And Apostle Paul writes to Romans in, uh, I believe, chapter 6. And he says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us 
who've been baptized in Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore with him, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So he uses this word of, of baptizing. Now, baptizing to us is something that we do when you believe as a Christian and then you make a public profession of your faith, a public profession of an inward decision that you've made. But the word baptism is this idea of being immersed. So Paul uses this idea that when you were baptized in Jesus, you were baptized or you're immersed into his death. And because you're immersed into his death, now you're raised with Christ to newness of life. What he's trying to point to is that you are no longer who you used to be. You died to your old nature. You died to your own sins. And now you have the power to say no. Now you're brought into this, this new life. Now, if we look a little, bit, uh, a little bit in the Old Testament, we see that Adam and Eve had a relationship with God that we did not have. It said that in the coolness of the day, the breeze of the day, Adam and Eve would walk and talk with the Lord. Would not be cool. But when they have sinned, they, they said that God first warned them, said that if you eat out of this tree, you will die. Now, did they physically die? They didn't. They spiritually died. The connection they had with God died in that moment. But when we come to Jesus, we are renewed back to life. We die to our old nature, the nature that always chose sin. And, and I think a lot of times we look at the culture that we're in, the political kind of discourse that we have in this country, and we look at a, people like the far right or far left, the Antifa, and I don't know what the other guys are, are called, right? And you're like, how can these guys not understand that this is evil they're doing? That's because they're blind. And the enemy has blinded their eyes. When you don't know Jesus, you walk in blindness. And when you come to hear the gospel and God, you, you're baptized into Jesus' death, but you were resurrected to a new life. So this is how we get here. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes to his hometown, the place he grew up in. Now, I would do anything to go back to my hometown, but most likely everyone's gone and probably everyone's old. Because everyone that was young left with me about the same time, <laughs> right? But, but he comes back to Nazareth where he, he grew up. And, and, and now he's a rabbi. Now he has a certain level of authority. He's, he, and he goes to the synagogue, which is the equivalent of Sunday morning service, except at that time it was on Saturday, right? So he goes and he, because people hold him in high, and they have heard rumors. And people walk miles to hear this, this rabbi that apparently he actually is from here. He grew up amongst us. Right? And they hand him the, the scroll and the, the words of Isaiah that Isaiah prophesizes. You know, he starts reading. He says, the spirit of the Lord 
is upon me. Now, this is a big chapter. You're going to find that in Isaiah chapter 61. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stops right here. He doesn't read the whole chapter. Because the next line, he says, he will proclaim the Lord's vengeance. But he doesn't get to any wrath or vengeance. He just reads this part to, to literally which supposed to be a comma, but Jesus just stops this point and hands back the scroll and sits down. He looks around and says, yeah, today this word has been fulfilled. So what's the word that he's talking about being fulfilled? Well, the first thing he says that God has, you know, empowered me by the Holy Spirit. Now we know that Jesus was baptized and then the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And then he was sent into wilderness and he was tested and tempted and all of that. And then he came back and he healed some people and people have heard of these miracles that he did in Capernaum and other, other cities where towns, you could say. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news. So the first thing that Jesus says is, I was anointed to proclaim the good news to the poor. Now we know that when we, we would think of the poor, we think of people who are poor in, in, in money, like they don't have a lot of things. And that could be true, but there's more kind of like interpretation to what poor means. We see, for example, Matthew 5, 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus came to proclaim the, 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 the gospel, the good news to the poor, the reject of the society, the marginalized, the people who lived on the fringes and nobody really paid attention to. But also he came to preach to those people who are poor in spirit, people who are searching for, for the Lord, who are questioning Last night, I actually met up with, uh, I actually didn't really necessarily met up. I just ran into a friend of mine, and we sat down on a bench, and he's like, man, I grew up in a Christian home and, and all of that, and, and I just, I'm having a really hard time to believe, because you know what? Honestly, I just don't really need God. And I kept on listening and listening, and I wanted to tell him straight up, I'm like, if you don't see your need for the Lord, there's nothing I can do to help you. Now, I can preach the gospel to you, but my hope is that you allow the Lord to open up your eyes to see your need for the Lord. Jesus said it, says it in a different way. He says, only those who are in need of a doctor come to the doctor, right? It's not the healthy ones. So the first thing that Jesus says, I, I came to preach the gospel. I came to preach the good news. But I will reach those who are marginalized and those who are in need of me. People who are actually searching for me, who are pursuing me. You know, the people who will press through a crowd, getting stumped on their hands just to get a hold of Jesus' rope. You know, people who, whose friends would carry their friend to Jesus if they have to cut through the roof of the house to get their friend in front of Jesus. Or the, the shorter guys who run to climb the tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus like Zacchaeus did. Right? People who 
are in desperate need to get a glimpse of Jesus. So he came, he says, I was anointed to reach these people. So if this morning you are in the house and you are questioning your faith, you're in the right place. If you're asking, there's got to be more to life than what I'm living day to day, you're in the right place. The message of Jesus is for you, for, for those who are questioning, for those who are pursuing, for those who are, are poor in spirit. But also if you're those, uh, one of those people who, who maybe there's not much things that are significant about you. Maybe you have not become famous or you just, people just don't pay attention to you. Can I tell you that Jesus came for those that are marginalized, who have problems? Right, so that's the first part that he says, I was anointed to reach these people. And the second part that he says is that he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now, we don't use that word that much, like captives, right? Say things like a captive audience, right? But really in this context, what this means is set liberty to those who are addicted, who want to be free, but they can't. And not only they can't is, you know, people say things like, you know what, I'm not addicted. I just don't want to stop. It's like, well, stop. Well, I just don't want to. Well, then you're addicted. Right? So, so obviously, the, 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 the culture we live in right now, we're, we're talking about pornography addicts, you know, drug addicts, alcoholics addicts. I actually had an uncle that died of, of alcohol poisoning. People who are so desperate, and it's, uh, I think addiction, what, what's so difficult about addiction, it's sort of like a three, you know, approach to, to, to cure addiction. You kind of have to approach it from three different sides almost, right? You have kind of like the, the body is craving it, right? Then you have the spiritual, you know, side where there's actually demons who constantly are interested to make sure that people are addicted in their sin, and then you have, on a soul level, people who are desperately emotionally broken. So say you have a person who is addicted, they go to the hospital, right? And they only take care of the physical, you know, the, the addiction that they have chemically in their body, and they're healed out of that. Yeah, but they get out of the hospital, and they're depressed, and they have no spiritual hope. And that throws them back into their addiction. Where somebody goes and has a really good prayer and they took care of the spiritual side but yeah but their body is still addicted and sometimes jesus heals everything and that's my whole point when you go to jesus is the doctor of all those three things i think some of the most successful rehab centers are the ones who actually treat all three of them who treat the body who treat the spirit and who treat the soul on the soul level right like they, they make sure these people have community they have a church they're part of they make sure that they have a support system. On the body level, they make sure that they're no longer addicted. They might have to take medications for a specific amount of time. And sometimes they never stop taking medications. And on the spirit level, they make sure that they, they're developing the relationship with the Lord. And they realize their worth in Christ and their identity in Christ. Right? And Jesus says, I came to proclaim liberty, to proclaim, proclaim freedom to those who are captives, those who are chained. Those who are in prison. That is the awesome thing about our Lord and Savior. If you want to know what Jesus came here for, read these verses. He came to the poor, the marginalized, those who are poor in spirit. 
He came to the broken, the captives, those who are addicted. So if you're the, in this place, then maybe you have a pornography addiction, or if maybe you have some kind of chemical addiction, or maybe you have an emotional addiction where you're just emotionally attached to random people, there's freedom in, you, in, in Jesus for you. Right? So, so that's the second part. The, the third part is recovering of sight to the blind. Now, of course, this is also physical and this is also spiritual. And it's, it's odd because in John chapter 9, we have this crazy story of this guy who is, is blind. And the disciples come to Jesus. Instead of praying for, for the blind guy, he says, Jesus, we just want to know, like, who sinned in his life that he's blind? And Jesus is like, no, like, that's not how he works. Like, maybe it was for God's glory. And Jesus says, he puts his hands into the, the dirt and gets some dirt and spits in the dirt and then puts on this blind, blind's eye, his blind guy's eyes, right? And he says, go wash yourself in the pool of Cylon, I think the pool is called. So he goes, washes himself, and he starts to see, right? And then people are like, wait a second, aren't you the blind guy? And the guy's like, yep. And the Pharisees are like, wait, who, what, what happened? He's like, well, this guy, the prophet guy, Jesus, I don't really know who he is, but he healed me. And the, prof, uh, the, the Pharisees are like, wait a second. We don't really know. Like We, we are the sons of Abraham. We're, we're the Pharisees. We're the authorities. We're the spiritual authorities. We don't know who this guy is. And the guy's like, well, that's funny because he healed me. Right? And this is how we get here. And I think it's uh, chapter 9. Um verse 39, and Jesus said, he says, for judgment I have come into this world so the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Wait, what? <laughs> so Jesus makes this guy physically able to see, but to the Pharisees who are refusing to humble themselves, they're blind to what, who Jesus is. They're blind to this whole thing. And what a sad picture. You're like, but you just saw a miracle. You should wonder, like, you know, like Nicodemus maybe, like, hey, is there something to this? But no, they're blind to it. Because to acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God takes humility. Takes you humbling yourself. I love how there's the song that you probably have heard of called Amazing Grace, uh, right? Like, it says, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. If you ever uh, watch the movie Amazing Grace, they actually have this scene. So just to kind of recap really quick, this song was written by a guy who traded some 20,000 slaves. He was a slave trader. And then he encountered the Lord. And his whole life changed. His name was John Newton. And he started preaching the gospel. And he had a friend. His, his friend's name was William Wilberforce. He was an abolitionist. He was a guy who worked in the, in the politics and he wanted to pass a law to abolish slavery. And in the movie, it has this amazing scene where at this moment, John Newton is already blind because he's old and he's already blind. And he just kind of like puts his hand on the account of his life. He says, we were animals the way we treated those 20,000 slaves. But they were human. 
said, this is my account. You must use my account to damn this whole slave trade. You must use this to destroy sla uh, slavery. He says, I was blind, by now I see. Didn't I write that? And William Wilberforce says, yes, you did. He says, well, at last it's true. When John Newton says, is, I'm physically blind, but at least I see spiritually, that what I was doing was wicked, was evil. So if I had to choose between being physically blind and spiritually, you know, being able to see, maybe that's better overall. Because our physical seeing is only for this world, but the spiritual seeing is for eternity. So, so Jesus came to make the physically blind see, but more importantly, those who are blinded by the enemy, for them to see spiritually, they can no longer follow into that trap. Jesus came for those who came this morning and you are dealing with anxiety and anger at your sin, at your circumstances, for you to turn around to the enemy and to your flesh and say, I don't, I don't work for you anymore. I'm done. I'm free. Have a good day. And then get in the car and say, that's how it's done. <laughs> right? That is the amazing thing about what Jesus came to do, is to make us spiritually see. Now, of course, he heals physically, but he really came for every single Christians, those who put their trust in Jesus, to be able to see. And the last two, and to set liberty to those who are oppressed. Now, how is someone who's been oppressed different than one who is captive? Well, captive entails that you can be free. Oppressed entails the fact that it's constantly lording it this this master that you have it's lording over you and it's constantly destroying you it's constantly putting pressure on you probably the best explanation that i can come up with the things that we see when someone is verbally abused daily or sexually abused someone who's oppressed by you know by by their authorities but they're family members, right? And, and, and it, it, it drives me crazy to see that the people who are spiritual, who are supposed to be spiritual, rather, in that time, they were doing the oppression. Because the next thing that Jesus says, and kind of the last thing before he sits down, he says, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, what does that entail? Well, in the Jewish culture... Every single seventh year, it was known as the year of rest. Okay, so for six years, you could plant, but on the seventh year, you had to give the land a time of rest. So people didn't really work the ground, right? We, start, we see a lot of these verses in primarily Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And uh, for example, Deuteronomy 15.1 uh, says, At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is a manner of the, uh, of the release. Every creditor should release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not 
exacted uh, of his neighbor, his brother, because of the Lord's release has been proclaimed. So one of the stipulations on the seventh year is to release if you have any kind of like, you know, a debt. They also they had a lot of different like, you know, giving a break, giving a rest to the land, giving a, a, a break to your borrowers, right? In Leviticus 25, we are told this, and you shall consecrate the 50th year so what's seven times seven? 49. So on the 50th year, so you're going to do this for seven years. And this is what the stipulation is in the 50th year. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and pro proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. So that this is how we get the word, the jubilee year. When each one of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. So, and then Deuteronomy 15, 12, we are told, if your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is slow, sold to you, he shall serve six years, and on the seventh year, you shall let him go free from you. And you will let him go free from you. You shall not let him go empty-handed. So they had these laws to protect the weak and the poor. People who had a debt and they were going to like sell themselves into slavery. So they sold themselves into slavery and God put these protections in place for people not to take advantage of this, right? So, so if you had a debt, people would obviously like think about this. Hey, on the seventh year, I have to release this debt. If you had a slave, on the seventh year, I have to release the slave. And on the Jubilee year, which is seven times seven, 49, on the 50th year, anything it was a, kind of like a bigger year, a jubilee year. If you, for example, even the leases on land was only given for the amount from the year you're in to the 50th year. But if you had any debt, you had to let it go because you didn't plan accordingly to what you're supposed to do. So the seventh year and the 50th year, we are told these are great years for who? The people who are being oppressed. People who the society is taken advantage of. So to benefit the poor, this is what God has written. Did that happen? No, it did not. Because even though they try to do it in their mouth, with their mouth, a lot of the times they would ignore these laws. And throughout the prophets in the Old Testament, we see how many times the Lord says, you are oppressing the poor. You are not giving justice, and I will come with my vengeance. We see this in uh, Jeremiah 39, 34, 8. It says this, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after the king Zedekiah had made a covenant with the people in Jerusalem to make a proclamation of liberty to them. So because people are ignoring the laws, they make a proclamation of liberty that everyone should set free his Hebrew slaves, male and female, so that no one should enslave a Jew his brother. And they obeyed all the officials and all the people who entered into the covenant and everyone would set free his slave, male or female, so they would not be enslaved again. So they get together and they're like, okay, we're going to get rid of all slavery. We're going to let everyone go. This is going to be great. Until we get to verse 11, it says this, but afterward, they turned around and took back the male and female slaves and they were set free and brought them into subjections uh, as slaves. 
a lot of the people in power, they used their authority and power to abuse the system. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, I came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I came to proclaim what the Jewish culture would understand as the year of Jubilee. And he stops there. He doesn't talk about the vengeance that will come later. Do you know why? Because when Jesus comes the first time, he comes in grace. Right now, what I just told you is all true. Those who are poor, those who are oppressed, those who have been in captive or addicted, there is freedom in Jesus. We live in the declared year of the Lord. You remember how in the Old Testament it was every 50th year and even that was ignored and people wouldn't do it? But Jesus came on the scene and proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor for the rest of the time until he comes again. You see, the first time Jesus comes where he came, he comes with grace and mercy. He comes to save not to judge. But the second time he will come, the second coming of Christ, he will come in judgment. And that's the scary part. The second time Jesus comes, the vengeance of God will come with him. He will come to judge the world. People will have to sit at the, or stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And that is my hope for us as a church and on this 4th of July that we understand the amazing hope of the gospel that we no longer have to work and we no longer have to be subjected underneath the yoke of slavery of sin we are told that we no longer have to obey the enemy we are told to resist the enemy resist Satan, and he will what? He will flee. We are able to proclaim the freedom that we have in Christ. Now, I know that a lot of times people say, this is this sounds great. Jesus came to give us freedom. But have you seen my family? Have you seen my brother? Still addicted to drugs. How is it? How is it that God came, His Son came to give us freedom, yet we still live in bondage to sin. Now, I'm not a history major or a poli or anything like that, but I do know that in the United States, there's three branches of government. There's the legislative, right, executive, and then you have uh, the ju uh, judicial. So in the legislative uh, branch, they make the laws. The police force, the president, they're the executive branch where they enforce the laws. And the Supreme Court and all the court system is where the judge, if you broke the law and, you know, you, you did the crime, you, did, you did, do the time, right? What Jesus has done on the cross, he has legislated our freedom. But we have to proclaim his word. We are, in essence, the executive branch of the freedom that was legislated on the cross for all of us. Now, there's going to be a time where the judicial branch will come just because God has not judged 
wickedness up until now doesn't mean that he never will. You know, a preacher said that it's someday, it's payday someday, right? One day God will judge everyone. But right now, Jesus legislated our freedom. And we need to walk in that. We need to enforce that. And if you remember in 1863, President Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, meaning that you could no longer own a person as property or as a slave. Now, did that happen right away? It didn't. For about 18 months, people still owned slaves. Why? Because they didn't know about it. And their landlords were, I don't know, if, masters, I would say, probably better word. They had an interest in keeping them from knowing. So Jesus legislated our freedom, but if you choose to still subject yourself under the slavery of sin and the enemy, well, do you realize that Jesus, just like Abraham Lincoln, proclaimed freedom for all the slaves? Jesus did that on the cross. You need to proclaim that over your life, over your family. I, I love this story that I read this morning on Faith Life. Um, <laughs> in this town, there's a town of only ducks. And all the ducks are walking to church and they're all wobbling and they're waddling, right? And they come, they sit in the pew and the duck preacher gets up there and says, you do realize you have wings. Because you have wings, you can fly. No fence can hold you in. Nothing with the opening, like, up can hold you in place. You do realize that. You have wings. You can fly. And all the ducks said, Amen. And all of them clapped with their wings and shouted hallelujah. And they walked out and waddled back home. I think a lot of times as Christians, we do exactly the same thing. We have this amazing freedom in Christ to proclaim the legislation that Christ has done on the cross for us. Yeah, we go back to our lives. The preachers can come and say, you do realize that you're free in Christ. You can say no. Up until now, when you were in sin, when you were blind, you couldn't say no. That was, that was your nature. Now Jesus has freed you. And either you can subject yourself onto lordship to Jesus, or you're going to subject yourself onto other things. But my hope is that you follow Jesus. Apostle Paul actually writes in chapter 6 of Romans and says, You are a slave to, one who, to, to the one who you obey. So now because you have freedom in Christ, make yourself a slave unto Christ. Make yourself under the lordship of Jesus. Don't subject yourself under the same sin, the same enemy again. And that is my hope for you this morning as a church, as we are coming to for, celebrating this 4th of July we are told that uh, in Galatians chapter 5, I believe, we are told that for, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to your yoke of slavery. So here's my question to you this morning, and I'm going to call it to prayer very shortly here. What have you, knowing that you are free in Christ, are still subjecting yourself under You know, I remember when I started with a story about the abusive relationship that I had with my client. 
when they were following me to my car and I still got angry and I was like, oh, I'm going to turn around. Then I realized, but I no longer work for them. So now I no longer have to put up with any of the things they say. Therefore, whatever they say doesn't make any difference. If it's an insult, that's just your opinion. So to look in their eyes and say, I no longer work for you. Where is that one area in your life? That you know you have a freedom in Christ, but you have been going back. Because up until now, when you weren't free in Christ, you had to do that sin. But now, if you're doing a sin, sorry to break it to you, but you're choosing to do that sin. Because you have freedom in Christ. And that's my hope that you understand. No matter how you feel this morning, what you're going through, you have freedom in Christ. You have the ability and the power to say, no, I no longer work for you. Jesus is my master. Jesus is my Lord. He is my best friend. He is my father. He's everything to me. And when you understand that, when a coworker makes you mad, you don't have to turn around and go off because they don't define you. Because most likely the enemy is orchestrating that whole situation for you to walk in. He specifically designs every temptation to get you. He knows your, your weak points. But when you no longer walk under anxiety and depression and the yoke of slavery. Now, I wish to tell you that all the congregation was really chill when Jesus said this, but that's how it happened. First, they were like, oh, this is, this is good what he says. This is great. Until Jesus called their bluff. Until they realized, wait a second, um, he's really good, but like, he's from our town. There's nothing good that comes from our town. They had to literally humble themselves to realize, okay, what he's saying, maybe there's truth to his authority. Okay, well, let's see, let's see a miracle. Jesus, do the thing that you did in Capernaum. Like, just, just do that. We'll believe in you then. And Jesus says, don't, no, don't quote that to me. Because I understand that no matter what I do, like, you'll still, like, a prophet is without honor in your town or our town, right? If you ever, <laughs> if you grew up in the, my brother's here, so I guess, <laughs> but, if you ever grew up in a big family, you know that family doesn't necessarily think of you the, of the greatest, right? Like, family's family. They, 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 you're so common to them, right? And I'm not saying that about me. I'm just saying they saw Jesus playing and like, wait, Jesus, but we know him. But like, he was here. There's nothing good comes out of this because that required them to to humble themselves. Like, if my brother told me that he's the son of God, I would have a problem with that. Like, a major problem with that. Right? It's, it's, it's natural for us to question these things. And then Jesus just, you know, he sort of says, I'm not going to do a miracle for you, which is kind of sticking a knife, but then he turns it. He says, you see, when Elijah and Elisha were a prophet in the Old Testament, they didn't go to the house of Israel to heal. They went to the Gentiles. Remember that woman? 
who lived in that far town that wasn't a Jew? And God sent the prophet to her house? Remember that guy who had leprosy? Even though there's a lot of lepers in the house of Israel, but God chose to go to the Gentiles? Oh, they did not like that. For them to realize that God might actually try to reach a bigger thing than the Jewish community, oh, they had a massive problem with that. And it says they brought Jesus and they were going to throw him off a cliff. Because that required for them to humble themselves. That required them to accept of who Jesus really is. And that is my hope, that we don't miss that opportunity. I remember the story. I don't remember who told me this story, so I can't really quote who told me. I don't know how true it is, but just take it as, as a point of making an illustration. There was a kid who was driving at 16 years old and uh, got a little bit drunk, and then he literally went into a ditch with his car, and this guy pulled up to him and pulled him out of the car, saved his life. And then he said, I'll never do this again, but then he went back and did it again. And then he crashed his car. He was fine, but now he had to appear before a judge. Turns out the same guy who saved him was the judge. And the guy goes, I know you, like you saved my life. And the judge looked at him and said, young man, last time I saved you, I was your savior. Today I'm your judge. And that's a great illustration of who Jesus is. When he comes the first time, he's a savior. When he comes the second time, he's the judge. And that's what we need to realize about everything that we do in our lives. Yes, there's freedom in Christ. Yes, there's newness of life in Jesus. But we cannot take that for granted. We live in a country that for the most part allows us to worship allows us to pursue the Lord. I hope that we take advantage of that. So I'm asking you this morning to stand with me and I'm calling you to prayer. And here's my call to you. You know you are free in Christ, but what is one area of your life that you've been giving yourself to sin? Maybe in your anger, maybe in your gossip. And you subjected yourself onto the yoke of slavery once again. Would you bring it before Jesus? Jesus, you are the one who came to reach those who are captives, those who are oppressed. Hey everyone, I want to take a moment and thank you so much to all of you who have been downloading and listening to these podcasts. Recently, a friend of mine called me out of the blue and he said, hey, I want to be part of the ministry that you are doing and I want to financially support you. So I told him that for the last four years, I've been paying to host this podcast online. So he decided that he will pay for a year worth of podcast hosting. This nice gesture made me think maybe there are more people that would like to partner up with me in ministry. Oftentimes, when I'm asked to minister at some church, a lot of the churches don't have enough money to cover my travel, my time that I took off of work, and the expenses that come with being in a different state. So I created a fund where all the proceeds that come into this fund from the online platforms will be used towards ministry, be it travel expenses or podcast production, or creating any other form of ministry content. You can give through the link in the show notes. However, if you cannot support me financially, I encourage you to pray and if you can rate and review this podcast. Thank you so much again and God bless.